This is why I tell people, you got to respect all fighters. You know, people always go about worrying about records and, and all this. He lost all, he's a bum and all that. Well, you get your bum ass in there then. <laughs> and let's see who's the bum, really. Because you don't play this. You can't play this. So we, we demand respect at all times. Every fighter that step in the ring, I don't care what the record is. I don't care who they are or where they come from. It demands respect because if not, then you see things like that happen. And then all we were, oh, that's a good knockout. Yeah, it's a great knockout. It's devastating, making history and stuff like that. But how much that man going to suffer? He may be all right right now, mm. a little bit. But what about the next day? What about two weeks from now? What about a month from now? Maybe years from now? And we seeing what happened. Look at, look at, look at Cologne. Talking about Richard Cologne. Hit. Richard Cologne. That's Richard Cologne. Yep. Correct. This man ain't have no kids. <laughs> man, they don't understand, man. Y'all don't fucking understand what we go through, man. And I don't even know him like that. But I always be an advocate for us because. Ah, this man would never know what it feel like to be somebody's father. And that's some of the precious thing in the world to be somebody's father. But he'll never be nobody's father, man. This man will never have a natural childhood ability of, 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 of living again because he got in the ring to support his family. But now... His family got to take care of him for the rest of his life. He might, he probably would have been, he probably would have the breadwinner of his family. And now they looking, seeking for help and shit like that. I can say so much about it. That's why you can't play this. This is serious. We don't know if Robert going to be the same after this. I just did a job. Great at what I do. I don't. I don't. I don't mean to take people away from their lifestyle of living. I'm just trying to support my family as well. This is what we signed up to do. And unfortunately, there's a winner and there's a loser. And sometimes it's a draw. Hey guys, you know what time it is. Welcome back to to the number one podcast in the sport where. We give you extra. We really do. Um, so in the previous episode, if you've sort of tracked them, God, I don't even know which order you've listened to these. But it was more just a, a roundup of where we are boxing-wise in terms of the promoters and the fighters. But it would be remiss of me not to give my personal account of of 2022 in boxing because there's some things that don't neatly fit into you know, the normal boxes, like people are dishing out their fight of the year, fight of the year, knockout of the year and stuff. And it's been fantastic. I've enjoyed reading those, agreeing and disagreeing. But a lot of times it's about that, about that journey. And for me, like 2022 has been a really good year because this is the first full year we've had post-COVID, right? So it was hard to compare where, it's hard to compare this year with last year and the year before because we were in extraordinary times. Well, that's what they told us, right? We were in extraordinary times. And now we're kind of back to normal. And we're finding out who was really putting in the work during the lockdown. 
And so the first thing I want to say is massive respect to everyone that listens to this, whether you're a friend of mine, whether you know me personally, you don't know me personally, it doesn't matter. So many people have done so many great things. You know, um, shouts out to Damo, Damien Lithgow, who's now got a new setup as a coach up in Hull, and he seems happy, more control, more opportunity to to showcase what he can do as a trainer. That's fantastic. Danny Watley's got his new place up at Donny Plant. Seems happy as hell. Um, my mate Cy up at Islington doing his thing. Seeing him settled in at a new club and being respected the way he was at Fitzroy Lodge is good because he's a hell of a coach. Lovely guy as well. Really good man. And once again, you know, he's showing that he can produce winners wherever he goes. And the list can go on. You can talk about my mate Dan, cameraman par excellence, and he's he's elevated a lot. And I remember when he got his first camera for Christmas, and that wasn't even that long ago. So to see how far and how fast he's come is a reminder that the guy works damn hard because <laughs> he's definitely not talented. He's just a hard worker who finds a way to win. That's what I respect about him. Same with Linton. Um, Linton and Mark Rygate at the Lodge, and I've seen it this year. You know, during the lockdown, you looked at the lodge and it was limping. I don't care who hears this, but it was true. The lodge was limping and you're looking at it going, this might be the terminal decline. Post-lockdown, they've kicked on a gear. Not where it needs to be yet, but they're on the right path. And it's always good to see, you know, the new guys come through. So it's always nice just to pop in every so often and, you know, do the hellos and all that sort of stuff. So I've, I've... thoroughly enjoyed seeing all of these people grow you know even outside and uh young guy sent me a track uh tom bantic i mean he's doing his music thing um adrian the remedy doing his music thing all these people just doing amazing things this year and this has all been due to the due to uh, without the podcast i wouldn't know a lot of this stuff i also have to shout out a good friend of mine eleanor mccarthy um I'm always surprised at what a great boxing mind she has. She had real good insight. I am surprised that no one in Australia makes more use of her experience. It's almost like once she stopped boxing for Australia, they forgot who she was, but absolute class act. And she's been more than valuable this year. Say the same about Eddie Lamb. Um, what a year he's had. Like what a, what a resurgence Eddie Lamb is having. Like, now, this 2022 into 2023 one of the main trainers now you put Eddie Lamb in that in that category and you know he's worked so hard in the shadows to get there like this isn't a short trip man this is back to the Kettles days and so all this year you see it um Adam Martin as well with Jermaine and seeing Adam Martin stable start to balloon to the point where he can say no to people uh Sean Earls over at State of Mind I keep saying this Give the man an opportunity. If you're a young fighter out there, you could do a lot worse than Sean Earls. I see a lot of the trainers people are palling up with. Absolute shocking. Um, big Donald Smith as a trainer. Hats off to you. Um, Raf, I mean, everyone. So many people this year have been a part of keeping my head straight. And keeping me in love with the boxing. In fact, their their success has made me fall back in love with boxing. 
You know, we all struggled in the pandemic. We didn't know how things were going to land. I think we were kind of back to business as usual, which is good in some ways, but bad in others. But just having the opportunity to see everyone grow. Seeing Jamie TKV make his debut on Sky, seeing Courtney Bennett make his debut, um, forming closer ties with guys like Alfie Warren and stuff, closer ties with guys like Dev Sani. And it's just been a year of growth. And I don't know what that's down to because really all I do is remain consistent. You know, I sit in front of this microphone, I talk. If you see me at a show, we talk. If not, we catch a beer, whatever. And through that is, you know, all these things start to happen. Don't forget Martin Theobald and Andy. Forget boxing, watching those guys growing at life. Like, they're friends, right? Lifelong friends now. And watching them grow at life and through that other opportunities that they choose to take, everyone's winning this year. That's one thing I can say. In 2022, everyone's winning. Unless your name's Eddie Hearn, but everyone's winning. And I've really, really enjoyed that. So for me personally, that's my overview of the year. I'm glad that everybody's winning. You know, the one person I always have to take my hat off to is young French. Um, not many people can be moving around <laughs> in a 300 brake horsepower car, rocking the Air Force Ones in the red and white colorway and be teaching kids <laughs> about the nuances of political theory. So... You know, I always have to say thank you for keeping me sane and being maybe the smartest person I've ever met. But yeah, it's been good. But you guys haven't tuned in to hear me just give a roll call of stuff. So I thought, you know, previous episode was more like zeroing in on things. I want to talk about themes in terms of 2022. And one of the ones I wanted to start off with was, I think we're seeing a decline in the importance of what they used to call amateur pedigree. So being an Olympian means very little now. And you saw that with Pat McCormack. Pat McCormack won an Olympic silver medal. Look how long it took him to get signed to Matchroom. And I think Luke will follow him, but I wouldn't be surprised if both guys had to go away from the sport to get themselves right. Because you realise it's a hard, hard sport. And you're seeing with Pat McCormack, he's struggling to take people out. So this obsession with GB is actually starting to become counterproductive because you can do a cycle too many. Now, if you say to me, guys who did too many cycles in terms of the Olympics, just off the top of my head, Luke Campbell. Um, Luke, I think Luke might have won the ABAs or he was a finest in 2008. So the fact that it was between then and 2012 for him to win his gold medal your amateur development goes through the roof, but your professional development's hindered as a result. So he's stuck around too long. Um, other people who stuck around too long, it feels like Anthony Fowler stuck around too long. Um, probably, yeah, probably one cycle too long. He probably should have turned pro in 2012. And you're seeing something similar with Fraser Clark and Pat McCormack, where they look like they may have stuck around that system too long. And I think if you're a, if you're a boxer... If you're, a, if you're an amateur, it's not worth it. Unless an Olympic cycle falls right in your sweet spot, and I think you really want to be doing the Olympics around 22. If you're doing it, if you're doing it at 24, 25, it's hard. So you want to be doing it around 22. If that doesn't line up with your ambitions, forget it. Maybe do a Commonwealth Games or whatever, but move on. Because you need enough amateur experience. 
without needing loads. And I know people talk about guys like Lomachenko, but they were special. The greatest amateurs will always be the greatest pros because they have those intangibles too. And it's the intangibles that separate the, the great from the good. You know, are you physically robust enough? You know, are you dedicated? Are you driven? Can you make those small adjustments? Can you learn skills quicker than anyone else? Can you get more out of an hour-long training session than anyone else? All these sorts of things. You know, can your body process lactate better than someone else? Can you cope with pain better than other people? These things are far more important than how many amateur bouts you had. So I think you're going to start to see a decline in the importance of amateur bouts. And I'll give you an example. The kid Moses Atalma is turning pro at 18 as a heavyweight. And it's a gamble. And I'll tell you why it's a gamble. It's a gamble mainly because when you're 18 and you're like him and you're physically gifted and you've had those physical advantages over people probably for your whole amateur career, that can close very quickly when you start stepping into the pros and they give you a debut against someone like a Phil Williams. And it may turn out actually you're not as strong as you thought. And then it's almost, you know, how much can you develop physically between now and when you hit your prime? If there's a lot of headroom, fantastic. If there isn't, God help us. And then how much can you develop mentally, technically, psychologically? The upside is he's turning pro with enough time and we shouldn't rush him. In the same way I said it's about Daniel Dubois, do not rush these kids. Let them learn. Let them develop. And then when we see that they, they excel, doesn't have to be you excel at everything, but you excel at most things. Then we start to push things forward because look what happened. They rushed Joshua. They chased the money. They chased the belts. And by the time he came to be tested, he wasn't built for it. So I can see there being a, a de-emphasis of those amateur accolades over time. And this may happen next year. And you're going to really start looking for kids who are good enough amateurs but have the physical and mental gifts above all else. And you'll be looking to get them in as early as you can. Because I think just talking to some of the amateurs now, the Olympics aren't that big a deal. Because who really came back from the Olympics and became a millionaire? No one did. I think it might be different in Ireland where Kelly Harrington seems to be able to make a, a good enough living of being an Olympic gold medalist. I don't know if you could do that here. Because obviously we have far more sports stars, far more sporting interests here. So I think you're going to see that next year because we're starting to see that the trend is true. 2012, and I'd like to do a more detailed analysis of this at some point, but 2012, who really stood out? Joshua? 2014 Commonwealth, Josh Taylor? 2016 Olympics, who really stood out? Joe Joyce. That's about, about it, really. 2020, who stood out? Ben Whitaker, And then... Ladies-wise, you've got people like, you know, Lauren Price really stood out with the gold medal. But you're struggling after that. There, 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 there are no real standouts. So you wonder, is it worth waiting around for an Olympic opportunity or do you just jump over and get cracking with your pro career like someone like Dalton Smith did? Sonny Edwards did something similar too. And look, he's a world champion. So I think you're going to see a real shift away from focusing on that amateur pedigree and more around what's he like around the gym, What's he like physically? What's he like mentally? How does he train? Is he coachable? And those sorts of things will become even more important. You know, one of the, one of the big challenges I see, and I see this more from a coaching and training perspective, because a lot of 
British coaches come up in the amateur system. And a lot of British coaches simply teach what they were taught. Right? There's no real analysis around whether it was valuable or not, whether it's helpful or not. People don't really tend to challenge themselves and want to learn new stuff. So a lot of people carry that over. And it's harmed British boxing for a while, actually. It's the reason why we never we never hold on to belts because we don't learn how to box. Right? We go through life learning this kind of amateur style hop in hop out what do they call it the pendulum step right um one that you see you using a lot but that's what you end up learning and you end up taking that into the pros <laughs> how many times have you guys watched someone making either their debut their fifth fight and they'll throw a one two and they'll make a massive hop backwards and you're like what the hell are you doing that for and they don't realize that that's not really what you're supposed to do and it shows the difference in culture because we we try and coach our guys two different ways, amateur and pro. The reality is the pro style in this country is simply a slowed down version of the amateurs with a bit more muscle and a lot more fitness. That's really it. It's still hands up, basic combinations and so forth. When you go across to Russia, you learn to box one way. That's it. You learn to box one way. But Terbiev's style today is a refined version of what he had before. But because they start with the premise of what works regardless of the code. Same in America. Unlike Cuba, Cuba just goes, what works in the amateurs? We don't care about the professional code. In America, it's more what works in the professional code. How do we modify that for the amateurs? We don't have that here. You know, that amateur style persists and that's why our fighters don't generally look good, don't make good decisions in the ring, don't have that experience. And until we bring the barrier down between amateur and pro gyms, you're going to have this problem. I don't know who needs to talk to who next year, but let's start having those honest conversations that say amateurs and pros can train together. I just think it makes the standard overall better. But we'll see how that goes over time. But I do worry that we're not getting the quality of coach coming through. That's going to take the sport to another level or in a new direction. Now, how many times have you guys been on YouTube and there's some old dude and he's explaining how you should be doing a pendulum step and how you should throw a one, two. And I watch these videos and I go, these are no use to anybody. They're no use to anyone. You learn nothing from those. Boxing is not something you can learn by distance learning. You can't. It's not the open university. Because it's a boxing, it's a coordination sport. People think it's a movement sport. Yeah, it kind of is, but it's a coordination sport. The muscles have to find the in the right order at the right time in order to generate the right amount of force. If you can't get that right, you risk injury, you'll underperform, and eventually you'll lose fights and you lose interest. We don't coach for stuff like that. You just get all of these coaches who think they know better than everyone else. I'm like, just putting videos up for, for clout and for likes. Does that really do anything for you? No. Doesn't make you a better trainer. It just You're just someone who talks a lot. And really what you're selling is your personal training business. That's what annoys me. Be honest and say, I'm selling a personal training business. This idea that you're sharing knowledge is utter nonsense. And it's becoming embarrassing. You're watching it. And it's like this race to the bottom. Who can find the more gimmicky way to to sell boxing coaching services? It's never been lucrative, by the way. And it, as unlikely it ever will be because it's a niche. And really, 
Boxing doesn't make sense until you get hit in the face. And most people don't want to get hit in the face. So what's the point? Uh, what other themes have sort of emerged this year? Boxing King Media. Now, I don't know what Boxing King Media was doing three years ago. I have no idea. Maybe, maybe it was still around, but you show up one day and you're doing IFL numbers with box Royal endorsements. And I've got to tip my hat off to you. The more people that do this content, the better. If you can do it independently, and it feels like Boxing King Media trying to go the independent route, the kind of non-Eddie Hearn route, the non-approved route. And I want more of that. More video interviews, harder questions, more podcasts, different content to what I do. That's why sometimes I enjoy sitting down and just having like 40, 50 minutes of Porky just, you know, giving me his take on the world. Or I go, you know, or BTR, jump in on BTR. I try and take in different content. I wish more people did more. You know, there were guys like Harney Marshall and so forth who were doing stuff and it seems like they stopped because they weren't getting numbers, but you've got to be consistent. I wasn't doing numbers when I started. We need more content because when things do happen, like the Conor Ben thing, the game changes. And I always find it ironic that Larry and I recorded episode 100 round about the time Conor was failing his first test. It's almost like the gods wanted us to, to line up and go, right, you know, let's prepare the fans for when this drops. And look, 2022, they couldn't spin it. The, the drug thing is so, so prevalent in the minds of boxing fans, they couldn't spin it. They couldn't talk about trace amounts. They couldn't talk about this. They couldn't talk about that because, and I don't think it was just us, but Larry and I, we, we let you know. There's certain things that can't just appear. And that's why you've got Conor Ben tweeting without allowing fans to respond, which I think is a bad look for the sport, by the way. You can't be there saying you love the fans. You can't be there courting the fans' attention when it suits you. And when it doesn't suit you, you shut them out. I think that's disrespectful. I think that's out of order. And I'm hoping you guys as boxing fans will address that and will discipline that accordingly because you shouldn't be able to do that. You know, Conor Ben tried to try to game the sport. Now you can say that the thing came as a result of eating 3000 eggs. I don't care. The fact is the thing was in you and it shouldn't have been. Not only that, but you seem to have your own personal doctor who was advertising services in other areas. I don't think it's a coincidence. You could have found a doctor from anywhere. In fact, you're a millionaire. Where's your Harley street doctor? And in all of this, I can't be mad at Dr. Us. Dr. Us provides a service. It's the boxers who are meant to say, mate, we can't use your services. But now you've got boxers going up in weight without gaining fat. And they have no qualms in telling you that they're doing this, even though they're associated with that doctor. And apparently he's just there to make sure they don't get sick. But I am happy that we've been able to, to give boxing fans the ammunition they need so that when the machine tries to spin and tries to con you and let you believe that night is day and day is night, you know you've got the information to say, no, that's not true. And that's why Conor Ben's going to have a hard time rebuilding his image next year. A really hard time because fans just don't buy it. Whatever he says now, he could say that he was asleep and he was injected by aliens. You're not buying it. 
Yeah, they could even wheel the alien out on IFL and have Coogan ask the alien, did you do it? And it wouldn't, ha- I mean, you still wouldn't believe it because boxing fans are better informed. And that's the aim of this pod. And so I'm still proud of that. That episode 100 was definitely a highlight of mine. And, you know, let's keep, let's keep that pressure on them. More testing. You know, especially in the women's side of the sport, because it looks like there are a fair few women who are taking stuff. Some go abroad for their training camps to avoid all of this. Some don't. But UCAT aren't interested. And until UCAT take an active interest in testing some of these women, especially some of the ones that come over from the States, that the women's side of the sport will always be a bit of the Wild West. And that's, that's a shame. That's a, that's a real, real shame. But yeah, my point is episode 100 was a definite highlight of mine. And I'll tell you what else was a highlight. Uh, the video I did post Joshua Usyk where I had to break down his reaction in the ring because that reaction still upsets me because that's as close as, as you can have to a breakdown as a sportsman as anyone could possibly see without without having to strap him up, if you see what I mean. Now, on a personal level, 1.4 million views. Thanks to Danny Watley, 2 point something million on TikTok. Thank you. And my follower count went up threefold. And so that puts me in a completely different league in terms of like my tweets have more reach and more impact, which I'm grateful for. And I, that's, that's an additional service, I guess, offered to you guys is just being that voice of truth and reason when I can be. But yeah, I just remember recording that video and saying, I wonder what would happen if I just put a video out there. I wonder if that would catch fire. Didn't expect that it would. And it's insane that it seems that everybody in boxing saw that everybody DMs went crazy everything went crazy and that put the podcast firmly on the map because suddenly people like who is this guy oh he's a podcaster let me go and listen to what he does like people say what do you what listens do you get in a typical day so you look at the SoundCloud numbers on a typical day it fluctuates between like a thousand on a a thousand on a usual day and then it can go up to 1200 it can go down to 700 a day right and that's not all just one episode it's multiple episodes people go back in the archives in the two days that video was just scorching through the numbers it goes doing like like 4000 a day and it was spread over so many episodes that people were going back into the archives to listen and I thought that was absolutely insane but it goes to show we're winning. Yeah, we're winning. For all of you that retweet, like, share, comment, engage, we're winning. But we haven't won yet until people like Eddie and Frank realize they need, they need that kind of voice of the fan around them, a voice that they can't control. And they can either accept that or they, it'll be forced upon them, much like the YouTubers. Remember when they had the option of bringing the YouTubers in on their terms? And in the end, the YouTubers said, we don't need you. We've got a bigger reach than you. We'll do this ourselves, thanks. We have an opportunity to do that, but it does require that everyone gets behind this movement and pushes. And I know there are people who, ah, you know, he's all right without me. I don't need to chip in. Everyone needs to chip in because at some point, the dam will break. And someone at one of these broadcasters is going to say, 
whoever that high field boxing is, he's making a lot of noise. Let's just get him on board, see what happens. And I may get one shot and they go, he's too much that Prince in the seam. But it's that crossover you need. They did it with Addy, right? Addy got the DAZN gig, but he, that's what he angled for. So he never really put his nuts on the line because he was like, you know, I might need to deal with Eddie one day. So he did it smart. Not the way I could have done it. You know, I not really one for, for boot licking, but he did his thing, you know, and I guess he takes pride in that and it pays his bills. So I, it's hard to take shots to that when he's got bills to pay off this and I don't. It would be wrong of me not to touch on what I think was both the biggest story and the biggest nothing burger of the year. And that was the whole MTK scandal. So just as a refresher, the the US Treasury basically said no American companies can do business with businesses associated with Daniel Kinahan or the Kinahan cartel. And what we thought was that was the precursor to a massive takedown or sting operation. As it turned out, it just meant that they turned off the MTK website. Tore up a lot of the MTK contracts, but seemingly the net result is a few fringe kind of professionals retired because obviously there weren't as many slots as there used to be. But paradoxically, the same managers, the same promoters, the same people are still involved. Your Tom Stalkers and so forth, they're still involved. And let me say this so I'm clear. I can't think of a generation of boxing that hasn't had money from sources that were questionable. I'd say today, boxing still takes in money from sources that are questionable from all sorts of different locations. I think this was the first time it was so systematic that when they shut down the figurehead operation, they were able to reroute everything into a plan B, a plan C and plan D. So the same people stayed exactly where they were. Managed the same fighters. Carried the careers on like there was no issue. You almost think had the powers that be waited to launch Probellum, Probellum would have been on TV now. Sonny Edwards would be on TV now. But they got the timing wrong. So let's let's go back to when it happened. I think it was March. We all thought that's it, done. All these guys are going to have to retire. All these slots are gone. There's no one. You're going to say that there's no YouTube shows. The TV promoters aren't going to have that filler for their cards. And then we thought Irish boxing would go through the floor. It would appear that not much has changed. Like I said, apart from those sort of fringe professionals who were probably struggling to get on anyway. I don't say that in a bad way. That's just more in a, you're not a, uh, who's a good example? You're not a Hara Davis, for example, right? You're not a Lewis Ritson. So it's always going to be hard. And I don't wish anything like that, like the loss of a career, loss of an opportunity. I don't think that's fair. But we legit thought, you're taking a fair few million quid out of the game here. This has to implode, and it didn't. Shows started to happen in Dubai. The operation carried on. So now as we look back with sort of nine months benefit of hindsight, nothing changed. 
the same people have the same influence. So what was the point of all of that? They may as well just have kept MTK going. Because you've got the same problem with Probellum, right? So why, why not keep that going? So I don't know what the next year holds. Um, I, I imagine it'll be business as usual because, let's say this again, it will take them so long to build up cases against anyone of that magnitude. It will take so long. You can have all these tactical wins like stopping them broadcasting the US, but the show will carry on. It wouldn't surprise me if they had money in mainstream promoters, indirectly, obviously. Wouldn't surprise me. And so for 2023, while MTK may not come into 2023 with us, its legacy and its influence will. And it will still be that kind of incubator for card fillers. If you need a competitive fight to fill a card, you know, the, the remnants of that MTK empire will be able to provide something for you. Now, what does that mean for boxing? It just means boxing will never clean its image up. But boxing doesn't want to clean its image up, does it? If you want evidence of that, have a look at how the board handled the Conor Ben situation. You bring in someone like a guy, Williamson, um, as I've said before, 1985 ABA champion, never turned professional. But even as he transitioned into becoming a barrister, never lost touch with the sport, knows everybody involved in the sport because he's a veteran. First amateur bout in like 1977. So he, he, he knows everyone. And he was brought in to to make sure the board never got caught slipping. And then the Conor Ben thing happened and the board reverted back to type. And they said, can we find a way to make this happen without making any noise? Something I've heard, and this is, God, I might get in trouble for this one, but I heard the board were notified. And the first question was, which test? UCAD VADA. And when it was said it was VADA, it was like, cool, we can ignore that. As long as it doesn't get out, we can ignore that. There was a gentleman's agreement that said, because it's VADA, we can ignore it and carry on. But if it comes out in the public and the public reaction's bad, we're going to have to pull the fine. Everybody was aware of that. The promoters were just annoyed that the board didn't see the course. But they were never going to. So it lets you know that the rot goes so deep that you're not going to fix it today. You're not going to fix it tomorrow. You're probably not going to fix it in our lifetime. Unless you tear the whole thing down and introduce a government regulator into boxing and then maybe. Maybe there needs to be a sport regulator and then it splits across different disciplines because there are a lot of problems. Doping isn't just it, it's the judging, it's the refing, it's the insinuation, and this comes from something Jake Paul said, it's the insinuation that officials are there to be bought. And it's hard to refute that when you see some of the things that happen in boxing. A game where you you think there should be an element of chance to it. You know, you also think there should be some merit to how you win, and a lot of times there isn't. And so you're wondering if these officials are getting nobbled. Let me ask a question. How many times have you sat there? And then when you hear Ian, Ian John Lewis is a judge, you just write 160, 112 for the opponent immediately when Ian John Lewis is there. Or when he's refing, you're like, oh, he's going to just break him up now. 
any anything to give the home guy a chance to rest. And you sit there, you do that, you're sat there and you're slapping your damn forehead, aren't you? Like, Jesus, if I can see this, why can't everybody else see this? And the board takes no measures to clean that up. Instead, it's, oh, man, you know, what did Robert Smith say once? I only listen to the people I respect. Well, with Taylor Cattrall, he had no choice. For Ben Shalom to come out and really let rip. That might be this one time where we looked at Ben and went, okay, okay, he's different to Eddie. He might be a problem. I like this. Was that point there where he was like, something needs to change. And he's right. Something does need to change. I just don't think it will happen so long as we have the current structure because that gravy train is too lucrative. The perks are too sweet and the opportunities are too great for people to even upset that apple cart. But Guy Williamson was brought in to solve that. Like the fact that we don't have an approach to Vada. So why the hell do we have Vada in the first place? It tells you that Vada was there to catch the other guy. It was never meant to catch our guy. Always to catch the other guy, the cheating foreigners, as we were always brainwashed to believe. Do you remember that? Like when guys like Povetkin were popping, we're like, all oh, these foreign fighters cheat. And it was like, no, no, our guys cheat too. And no one wanted to believe me. I remember Nigel Travis telling me there's no doping in boxing. And he's, he finished the tweet with, end of. And now he's talking about all oh, drug cheats should get banned. No wonder his fighters lose 80% of the time. And the guy just... <laughs> You know, when they don't want to listen, those that don't listen must feel. But just switching gears slightly, one of the thoughts I've had this year, and it's an idea that I call this, I'll call it a success vacuum. And I've seen it with boxes that I know personally. And simple idea is this. When you're all on the outside looking in, and you're like, do you know what? When I turn pro, if I win a British title, I want my people with me. I just want people I can trust, people I've known before the fame. They're the guys I want to go to wherever, right? To the world title with, right? This is how it all starts. And you're all kind of sat there together. You know, you might be sharing a sandwich or a bag of crisps or whatever, soft drink, you know, in some working men's club somewhere. And so people make their debut. And you go to the shows, maybe not all of them, but enough of them. You're, you're a ticket buyer. And everything's fine, normally up until like English level. Once they get past English level and start fighting for the British and it's televised, things move very, very quickly. And this is what happens from what I've seen. When you win that British title, people come out the woodwork. It's like Thriller, if you've ever seen that music video. Everyone just kind of gets up and they're out. And they're straight in your DMs, they're straight in your WhatsApp, and they're promising you the world. Slapping your back, promising you the world. Now that you've won the British, look, I know this guy that's interested in X, Y, Z. Everyone's offering you the earth. You see people at football matches, you see all of this stuff, and there's, everyone's in your ear. But those people that started out in the beginning, their messages don't get read. They don't get responses. They don't get phone calls anymore. When, when promoters were shafting and it's like, can you, can you help me navigate this situation? You don't get those calls anymore. You don't get the calls, how are you, mate? Making sure you're all good. You don't get those calls anymore. And so 
they're offered these things. Not, not really of any monetary value, free tickets to a concert and whatever, but of no monetary value, your bank balance doesn't go up at this point because they want you to further their objectives and their agenda. They want to put you front and center. They want to make you work for them. So you're on the outside looking in, like someone like me is on the outside looking in. And I watch this and I've been around the block so many times that I know that point where they cross over, like kind of when they win the British until that point of decline where they can't win the British anymore. After they can't win the British anymore, you get the phone calls. You get the messages. Your calls suddenly get picked up. You know, your Instagram messages get a response. And I've seen this cycle so many times from guys like Smallsy back in the day, Leon Williams. I've seen this cycle so many times where people start whispering and messing and meddling with stuff because they have an agenda. And I've never seen a boxer prepare themselves for that moment. Never. Maybe the only one I've seen is Anthony Joshua. For all of his faults, he said he'd, he'd do this whole career thing with his people. And he has done. And yes, KD was, you know, the, the Malinois and all this sort of stuff. But he stuck with his people. They've been there. They've had to bear the brunt of the mishaps and the pain. They've had to do that. Whereas I look at other boxers who don't have that. They're not picking up the same calls anymore. There was a fantastic image over Christmas. I don't know if anyone saw it, but it was Anthony Joshua going back to Johnny Oliver's house. So he was with Johnny Oliver and his wife. And Johnny Oliver was like the first guy to train Anthony Joshua. He went back. I think he goes back every year to say hello. And they sit down and they talk. And it's not for the clout. It's not for the publicity because no one knows who Johnny Oliver is unless, you know, you're involved in boxing. But he does that. How many other boxers do that? How many boxers go to their former clubs and just spend time with the new generation and impart knowledge and wisdom? Who does that? Anthony Joshua as a multimillionaire can do that. I think everyone else can do that. But it's this, I call it a success vacuum because there's a point in a, in a boxer's career where they don't know what to do. They don't know what they will do in any given situation. They don't know who to trust. Because there are so many people in their ear. I'll share a story. There was a boxer once. And he had won a, he had won a title. And he said, T, I will go to these meetings. Do you want to come with me? Because I need someone who's not going to get bamboozled by all the nonsense. And I said, cool, I'll come. And I showed up and they were talking. I was asking questions. What does this mean? Okay. If you're, if you're promising this, why isn't this in the contract? Can we get it amended for it to be in the contract? And so I've written like eight actions that everyone in that room has to do. Do you think I was invited to the next meeting? No. They isolated him. They said, we've got to have the meeting now. We can't wait for him. What happened? None of those actions were followed up on. Ended up signing the same agreement. They pressured him. And this happens a lot. This is why boxers lose their money. I'm going to say this now for anyone that's listening. 
The people you can trust are the people who backed you when you had nothing. No one else. Every boxer should have someone in their corner that doesn't need their money. But has enough intelligence to be able to say, I don't know if you want to do that. Too many times boxers surround themselves with people who need them to eat. And that was kind of Joshua's downfall. He built this whole economy, this whole AJ economy, the AJ project that fed so many people that they dare not upset the goose that was laying the golden egg. And so when it came time to be critical and say, I don't know if this is working, no one had the balls to do it. There were people in that camp that said, I think the defeat might do him some good. And this was in the, this was in the Ruiz match, the first one. The defeat might do him some good. Imagine that. So this success vacuum is real. And you'll see it. If you're around boxers, once they get to British level, the people around them change. The situations change. The energy changes. It shouldn't because the things that got you there will normally be the things that sustain you. There'll be some tweaks you have to make, but you can get people in to manage that. Or even the people around you can manage. Boxing is not a hard thing, man. Jesus. But they fall in love with the new and the sexy and you get a chance to work with this person and that person not realizing that you're moving from a situation where you are a high priority to one where you're a low priority. And then after you've been in this sort of success vacuum and everything's been sucked out of you, your talent, your money, this, that, and the third, you come out the other side bitter at boxing. You blame boxing for that when boxing did nothing but give you opportunities. And I've seen a bit of that the last couple of years where maybe the energy towards me hasn't been what it should be. The respect towards me hasn't been what it should be. But I don't get upset anymore because I know I'm going to see you on the other side. I know I will see you on the other side. And it's heartbreaking to say that but I've just been around this for so many cycles that that's just how it goes. And you've just got to make sure you're ready to catch him on the other side. And, and look, when you talk about stuff like that, it's quite tough because like that, that's some shit that I've lived through. Right. And it, it could affect you. I've, you know, you tried not to let it affect you, but it does because you go through a lot together. And sometimes you wish people would respect it the same way you do. But like I said, everyone's different. But just remember that you'll see this a lot in boxing. That change from when they win a British till they go fight for a world, do this, do that, fight for Europeans or whatever. And then when they come back down the other side and they're a bit more humble and chastened. But by then it's too late. Do you know what I mean? The memories have gone. The memorable times have gone. But it's life. But look, for the purpose of this episode, man, I'm more... I'm more focused on the stuff that's put a smile on my face this year. And I tell you, nothing puts a smile on my face more than talent and seeing new and fresh talent coming through. That's what I love seeing. New and fresh talent where you go, wow, okay. And I can remember being at that Leicester show when I commentated and on those three names I mentioned, Brad Goldsmith, Stanley Stannard and Brad Bethel made me excited about boxing again because I was like, wow, they've got this level of talent and it's not on TV. You can put Tyler Rivers in there as well. 
and you're like, okay, it's not all doom and gloom. Then went up to Sheffield. Actually, let's go back to Leicester. Even Ryan Amos. You're like, okay, there's talent here. You go up to Sheffield when we had Kirsty Bavington. I'm like, okay, no, no, there's, there's real talent. You know, Bavington against Sandy Ryan too. I think it's a far harder fight than the first one was. And I'm absolutely fascinated to see where this talent goes. Like, I'd like to see guys like Brad Goldsmith start getting their TV opportunities because there are a lot of guys on TV now who aren't good enough. And that should be like a revolving door. So get get some of these new kids in. These new kids who are, they're looking good and looking impressive. Let's get some of those guys in. And even on the amateur level, when I see some of the the young kids that I've watched for the last four or so years from different gyms, but mainly from the lodge, because that's where I was closest to. Uh, young Joey Efson, seeing him absolutely run right in the novices. Um, young Ibs, who can't seem to lose no matter <laughs> no matter who they put in front of him. And these kids, are, I remember when they were just clueless people. They didn't know how to box back in the day. And seeing them develop, ah, uh, Big Arnold as well, who finally had a fight for Fitzroy Lodge after all these years of promising us. And you see all of these young kids and you go, this sport will never die. Because there are people, boys, girls, men, women, who genuinely love this. Young lady I train, um, Daniela, same thing. She just loves it, loves being in the gym, you know, loves the energy, loves all of that. Fantastic young woman. Um, young Carl, uh, you know, when you, when you step into a new gym, it's hard to build that rapport with people. But I do love the fact that now he, he believes, you know, now that, you know, when you work together with these youngsters and you build these bonds and you go, God, this sport will never die. There'll always be people who want to come in and find out who they really are through the sport of boxing. And we should applaud that. We should. And sometimes we're on TV going, so-and-so's a bum, he's this, he's that. No. No, he's not as good as the other guy, but he's probably been in the gym just as long. He's had to find out who he really is and he's had to make peace with the fact that he will never be Muhammad Ali. He will never be Sugar Ray Leonard. He'll never be Marvin Hagler. He's had to make peace with that and yet he still enjoys the game. And there's a lesson in that for all of us. We don't always have to be amazing. We just have to enjoy what we do and give the best account of ourselves. But like I said, I, I, I just get so excited when I see people. I'm like, wow, I didn't know so-and-so was so talented. All that sort of stuff is, is generally good. Um, what, else, what else has been positive? I've really enjoyed watching the YouTubers. I've enjoyed watching KSI. I've enjoyed Jake Paul. I've enjoyed Bouncer doing his Wicked and Bad shows. And the reason I've enjoyed those is it's a different approach. Um, think about this. They laughed at KSI and Logan Paul when they said they wanted to do a boxing bout. No one's laughing now. And I struggle to understand how people still dismiss these YouTubers because I'm like, hold on. KSI did boxing did it better than all but probably five to eight people in boxing could have done. 
Logan Paul videoed himself diving off the top of a ring at whatever it was um, in Saudi, whatever that event in Saudi was. He did that. He was in the WWE and he was respected. Put his body on the line, ruptured his knee. Right? So, boxing, WWE. Then they launched a drink called Prime. That's going for $10 a bottle for essentially flavoured water, guys. They may not be able to tell us how to throw an uppercut. They can tell us how to market boxing because they seem able to market anything. They're doing stuff now that Harvard professors are going to start studying next year and do a course on in 2025. We get to see this live and still you've got people in boxing unconvinced, unwilling to learn off this. Those guys can help take boxing back into the hearts and minds of youngsters. And we don't use them the right way. We don't engage with them the right way. We don't take the lessons because the lessons are there for free. You have to be more than just the thing you are. This idea that boxing's a monastic, lonely life, it's not true. It's not true. It's a nice story, this idea that you shut everything else off for the betterment of your skills and your experience. And that's all right. The first rule of elite sport, from what I've deduced from it, just don't do things that get in the way. Self-promotion doesn't get in the way of your success. Marketing yourself and your event doesn't get in the way. And until boxers realize that, they'll always rely on their purses. Why couldn't Anthony Joshua have his own drink instead of having to have Lucas aid? Why couldn't him, Chris Eubank Jr. and I don't know, Joe Cordina, why couldn't they put a drink together? Because they don't think that way. They don't think about building themselves as individuals because they don't care. And maybe there's something toxic about boxing fans that means that boxers don't want to engage with them, whereas YouTubers are happy with their fan base. I don't know. But we need to look into that. Because there's a lot to be learned. And it's the thing that I keep saying. There's a machine behind these guys. Boxing hasn't quite built that machine. But then there's a counter argument that says, who's really done it since KSI and Logan Paul? No one. So there's an advantage of being the first mover. But this is an opportunity in boxing to be the first mover. And I don't see anyone doing it. You know, I see a lot of boxers talking about they breed dogs and they do this and do that. I don't see any content on that. I don't see them doing that sort of stuff and building a profile that way. Crazy. If I, if I bred dogs, if I restored classic cars, if I raced dirt bikes, that would be... 60% of my content because I only fight four times a year. So what the hell else am I doing? And this is another example of boxers shooting themselves in the foot. But I'm excited by that. I, I love the fact that Jake Paul has pressured Tommy Fury to the point where a YouTuber has supposedly had a professional boxer on the run. All of these things. You know, seeing John Fury become a character. Look at John Fury. What a great example of what you do in this sport. John Fury just plays the heel perfectly. You know, how many years ago, no one knew who John Fury was. Now John Fury gets his own interviews. Now, now when something happens, you're looking out for John Fury. 
He understands the game. Like Tyson understands the game. Yet no one in boxing is taking notes and going, maybe I can apply this to what I do. You have to be more than just a boxer in this modern age. There's too much money available. There's too much exposure available to just be a boxer. And hopefully those guys like KSI and Logan Paul demonstrate that. You know, and that's what promoters should be looking for. And it's not in a hackneyed way, but you should be looking for pretty rounded characters. If it's someone who's monastic, you're not going to get a lot of great content, are you? One of the things that I give thanks for is I still get to participate in the sport they call boxing. Whether I get to commentate, which is a massive privilege, I get to coach people, which is a massive privilege, or I get to watch, which is equally a privilege. Sometimes I get to broadcast. All of these things weren't available when I first started out. And every year I've got to be grateful that I get a chance to do all of these things. It's not a gift. I earned this. And those who follow me know every year I'm under attack, whether it's Danny Connor or whoever. They always attack and go, what right does he have to be here? And I repeat the same thing every time. If I was doing anything that was off, suspicious, problematic, if I was doing anything of that sort, it would have been on social media by now. Boxing is one of the few things in my life where I fly completely straight. That's why I have a podcast. There's no conversation I have outside of this podcast that doesn't come on here because I'll, this is where I'm held accountable. This is exactly when, and I'm grateful every year I get to do this. Every year it grows. and Every year more and more people in the sport of boxing, even your favorite promoters within their staff, there are people who listen because they want to know what people are saying. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that you guys tune in and I'm always thankful because you don't have to. But the fact that you do means the world to me. I've made friends through this. You know, I've rekindled friendships through this. I've developed newfound respect for some people through this. And I've been able to help the careers of others through this. And that's what makes this year, like a lot of the other years, really good. Because beginning of the year, you're flat, like, why am I really doing this? And by the end of it, you see a few people, you know, you reconnect, you understand each other, and it's like, fantastic. And the reason I say that is, I also have people who, who envy. Maybe it's not envy, it's contempt. Because they don't believe I have the right to have accomplished and achieved what I have done in the sport. I said Danny Connor earlier as an example, but I get where Danny comes from because as much as I think Danny's an absolute wanker and an arsehole of a person, he is, he's a piece of shit. Here's what I will say about Danny Connor. Put his nuts on the line. Danny Connor won fights he was meant to lose. Danny Connor put himself in harm's way. When he felt he could do something in the sport, he put himself in harm's way. And he could overcome a lot because he was quite stubborn mentally. Like really like hard to get him to quit, hard to get him to break. 
which was weird because like useless trainer, lazy, would find shortcuts to training. But when he was under pressure and it was, right, do I break or do I carry on? He'd always carry on. So when, yeah, when Danny Connor gives me nonsense, it's the sort of thing where I'm like, when I see him in person, we'll get, we'll get to the bottom of it, it's fine. But there are other people who don't have the same status as a Danny Connor. And they'll have contempt for you. We're going to call them JJs. And the reason we call them JJs is this. There used to be a kid at Double Jab, right? Fat kid. Used to show up like once every three months. Yeah. Wasn't good. Like wasn't good. And anyone that's ever been in a gym or coached will know what I'm about to say is true. There's always someone that comes into a gym and they, they talk about they want to spar. They get in the ring and they normally only spar their mates and they spend three rounds running around the perimeter of the ring and they come out and go, you didn't hit me clean, right? That's what they say. You didn't hit me clean. You didn't knock me out. You didn't drop me. Ignoring the fact that it's 16 ounce gloves and you're sparring your mate. So this kid would come in, wasn't that good. Lazy, came in overweight, couldn't really spar. Ended up being like a, almost like a bed blocker because that's a round that someone who's halfway decent couldn't do. But in the beginning, like when he first showed up, because he, he Googled stuff, he had a little bit of knowledge about boxing. Nothing spectacular, it was basic. But over the years, because he was lazy and he couldn't really dedicate himself to anything, all these kids who started out when he was around got better than him and left him behind. So when they sparred him year after year, they had to go easy on him. And he'd come out with this really false sense of security in his own ability. But he was garbage. And as coaches, we'd sit around and go, yeah, he's fucking useless, isn't he? But you wouldn't kick him out because it's a community gym. And if he wants to come and see his mates, come and see your mates. But here's the thing. He lives off that. So he goes and tells his mates that somehow he was some kind of talented boxer. He wasn't. He was a fat kid. That's what he was. He was a fat, lazy kid. You know, fat, lazy kid who was ignorant and arrogant. Like, just toxic, really. I remember a couple of the fighters would just be like, why is he even here? They didn't like him. But you have to understand it's a community ethos. So you're right. And he wasn't a bad kid when you talked about other stuff. But what he always had was this kind of undercurrent of, of sort of contempt for people. And he still does, right? So he, he will listen to a podcast and he will rip into it. And it's like, all right, mate, get off your backside and do something. Just do, do a podcast. He tried one. I think they're one episode in and that's one episode in three or four months. I've done 15. And you know when you put those figures to someone, always an excuse. These are the sorts of people where there's always an excuse. I've got to do this. This got in the way. Always an excuse. Hasn't got the character. Hasn't got the heart to edit something at three in the morning like some of us have had to. Hasn't got the character or the heart to record at stupid o'clock in the morning because you said that's what you would do. And these are the sorts of people who will criticize you in life. Guys who don't have a single certificate of achievement, 
not one letter of recommendation, nothing that says you were good at anything. Nothing that says you were respected. And they will criticize you. And they will try and diminish what you have achieved. And they will try and diminish what you are doing. Don't listen to them. As soon as they show that side to them, cut them off. No oxygen. No oxygen. Because they need you more than you need them. They have nothing. Absolutely nothing. That's all this guy was. He was just, it was all words. You look back and go, what did he do that was any good? Did he come to the club shows? Did he put a tenner in the pot to, to do anything? No. Did he buy a t-shirt? No. Did he ever wear a t-shirt? No. He just honestly, like this guy would come in in his civilian clothes and sit there. Like the mother from Precious. Like fully Monique'd, obese out. And he'd have the, he'd have the balls to tell people who had won stuff what they should be doing. And like, I've known this dude 10 years. He hasn't taken one coaching course. Hasn't had one bout. Hasn't bought a single ticket for a show. Just sits online forming opinions about stuff because all he ever wants to do is talk. But these are the people who will do down what you're trying to do. So if you're thinking of starting something, just know that these people are going to do this to you. And you may think they're okay, but the penny will drop on them because they'll try and copy what you do and they'll realize it ain't that easy. And then they'll diminish what you do. They'll downplay it because that's the only way they can hold their heads up in a conversation. Don't be a JJ. Don't be that fat person with opinions and no achievements. Don't be that person because being that person is not bad intuitively, right? There are, I've got loads of mates who are just happy. They're family men. They're happy. Go to work, play football on a Thursday night, maybe on a Saturday if the body will still hold up. As long as the kids are fine, they're happy. Bills are paid. Everything's taken care of, right? Their worldview is no bigger than their postcode. And that's cool. Still lovely people. But they... They know their limits. They don't talk about stuff that they don't have an experience of or an understanding of. So it's not necessarily a fact that you do nothing. It's that you didn't do shit. You had the opportunity to do something. You chose not to because you're scared. You're scared because you realize you're not that good at anything. But no one is when you start out. I wasn't good at this when I first started out. I've had to work at it but these are the people who are going to criticize you and what you're trying to do. These are the sort of people who try and downplay your dreams. Don't let them, don't give them the oxygen, don't give them the opportunity, but don't be a JJ. Do not let JJs fester in your life because they will drag you down with them. You will become like them. Non-achieving and you, you I mean the only way you can justify the emptiness of your life, the only way you can justify the lack of achievement in your life is to try and criticize other people's achievements. That's why they spend so long on box rec, pulling down guys like Errol Spence and Terence Crawford and Jamel Charlie. That's why they spend so long on box rec, pulling people down. They have no concept of building people up because they've never had to build themselves up. 
Don't let these JJs around you. Don't be a JJ. The world needs people who put their balls on the line. You may not like them. You may not agree with them. You don't have to congratulate them, but you've got to respect them. And that means <laughs> you can't just say what the hell you want. Especially if you're a nobody. Because that's what it boils down to. The people who criticize me are upset that they're nobodies. They have all this knowledge, supposedly. They have all these experiences in boxing. And they're still nobodies. They walk into an arena, nobody knows who they are. Just an overweight nine-to-fiver. And they're upset. And that's my fault. Yeah. It's my fault. But we don't give them the oxygen. We focus on the positive people, the people who, who you know, engage respectfully, friendly, whatever. That's why I said to people, 2023, I'd like to sit down and have beers with more people. Because we're all different, but from when we get away from that keyboard, we're all different. And I'm always willing to do that because I'm grateful for the support I receive. So days you wake up, you think, do I deserve it? And that just drives you to work harder. But don't be a JJ in 2023. And in 2023, do not let them get at you. Don't let them get at you. Do not think about anything that you haven't done. Just focus on what you can do and get out there and do it. No one, no one can tell you no. No one can tell you you can't achieve it. No one can tell you you won't be good at it if you dedicate yourself. That's all I can say. 2023, look for every reason to do stuff. Look for every reason to unite with people. Look for every reason to be positive. And look for every reason to be a better person. Don't be a JJ. Because you'll end up being fat in winter, sat in your little silly cardigan, passing judgment on people who are really putting their nuts on the line and who have surpassed you in ability and quality and skill, and you'll be that, that sad loser. And all you'll ever be known for is having opinions that no one cared about. Don't be a JJ. 